Hermione Granger and the Silent Country. From There Is Nothing to Fear by Santissi Day. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 6 Seeking Knowledge Hermione ought to have been preparing for the afternoon's potions class. That's what she wanted to be doing. She had gotten a letter from Professor Malfoy the week before, saying he had examined her grades from the past three years and corresponded with her potions professors at Beaubaton, and that she had been placed in Group U, whatever that meant. The syllabus didn't have any references to that at all. Hermione needed to know what Group U was, and what that meant about Professor Malfoy's judgment of her potions education, obviously. The carriages library had bought with it a copy of every book about Hogwarts that could be found at Beaubaton, including several that had only become available in the past year. Even so, there were not that many, and the stack of books she assembled atop the library's desk was less than a meter high. As she searched, part of her mind continued to dwell on the opening duel, and especially Malfoy's insistence that Haywood had done all that because she wanted to be a Death Eater. What was it that made that so important to Haywood? Hermione wondered what being a Death Eater meant, not to Hermione herself, who had known them for kidnappers and terrorists before she ever came to Britain, but for someone who had grown up here who had spent seven years under Tom Riddle's examining gaze. It wasn't long, certainly not more than an hour, before Hermione abandoned her search for anything related to the Hogwarts potions curriculum and cast a revealing charm for every occurrence of Death Eater in the carriage's books. Some of what she read was straightforward, especially when the books discussed events prior to their victory in 1982, but there was a lot that they left out, too. The Death Eaters would appear every so often, sometimes in conjunction with official ministry activities, and other times working without any mention of the ministry, and so their relationship with the British government was frustratingly unclear. Hermione was flipping through collected issues of the Daily Prophet, Volume 250, when the hall's light, coming through the doorway, was suddenly and completely obscured. "'Fleur said that you were studying?' said Madame Maxime. "'Researching, anyway,' Hermione said as she closed another book. "'History.' Hermione didn't hear Madame Maxime's approach so much as feel it, some subtle shift in the carriage floor at the headmistress's footfalls. "'If you need to talk with anyone, I will make myself available for you. Thank you, but I'm doing better now.' Hermione looked up and forth to smile. "'I'm very unhappy with the professors here, to allow such things to happen at all, and in front of children besides.' "'I really am okay,' Hermione said, and she hoped that her face didn't say otherwise.' She really would be okay if she could just, well, not think about it. That was the blessing of losing oneself in research. Madame Maxime nodded. Then I will let you be. But my affair has not been rescinded, she said. And then she left, and Hermione was alone again, if one could ever be alone when there were books for company. Hermione didn't depart for lunch until it was halfway over, and even then her motivation for leaving was not hunger, which was present, but bent easily against the need to read more, but rather a growing pile of questions and, finally, an idea about who could answer them. While Hermione flipped through the library's books, she had found a reference to Narcissa Malfoy, who had been granted a seat on the wizard gamut for unelaborated services to the ministry, in the very session that stripped a hereditary seat from her husband, Lucius Malfoy, the reformed Wizengamot's very first act had been to pass some kind of legislation about the Death Eaters, but the author of the Legus Liber Wiginti had ignored the details in favor of their true passion, the evolution of deliberative procedures in the Wizengamot, 
It was both frustrating and breathtaking to see how much someone could say about the process of making a law without explaining what that law actually did. Hmm, Malfoy's cousin was a Death Eater, wasn't she? And his mother sat in the wizard gamut, along with her sister, Dora's mother, who had gotten a seat for the same reason. If there was any student who might know what was going on between the Death Eaters and the Ministry, it was probably Malfoy. With a roll of parchment and notes in hand, Hermione finally left for the Great Hall. It seemed that Longbottom and Malfoy haunted the same part of the table at every meal. Had it not been for the French delegation, they would have been sitting on the very end, and Hermione briefly wondered whether there was anything to that. Maybe for another time. As it was, her list of questions was already getting too long for her liking. Fleur had left a Hermione-sized space between herself and Longbottom, into which it was quite easy to slide. Malfoy, Hermione said, as soon as there was a break in his conversation with Longbottom. Malfoy swallowed and turned to look at her. Yes? Hermione lowered her voice. What did Death Eaters do, exactly? I know there used to be a... She considered her words and her audience. Paramilitary group, I suppose. But it isn't clear what's going on now. I don't have a lot of books on Britain. Modern books, at least. And they don't say much about it. And what little they do say about Death Eaters, they don't always agree on. Like... Modern magical history says that they were responsible for putting an end to smuggling, but our ministry history says that the Death Eaters aren't part of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, and the Daily Prophet doesn't even mention them. Malfoy needed little encouragement to pontificate as a learned authority, or one who at least passed as such. Death Eaters, he told her, weren't given any official duties because nobody was officially a Death Eater. There was even a law about that, the Amnesty and Political Transparency Act, which stated that the Ministry of Magic neither forbade nor recognized Death Eater membership. There was such an organization, and there was a Wizengamot seat set aside for the Death Eaters, but— Wait, what? Hermione interrupted. They don't exist, but they're also in the Wizengamot. It's complicated, Malfoy said. There's just a seat, you see. If the representative of Wimbleminster votes for something, then the scribe marks down that there was a vote from Wimbleminster on a certain matter, but if the other seat votes, then the scribe just marks down that there was one more vote in the matter. The other seat? Malfoy fiddled with his profiteroles, knocking them around on the plate with his fork. One fell open, and garlicky cream cheese oozed out. There isn't, you know, a name. There's nothing official. Columbo and I have attended the sessions a few times, because my mother has a Merlin seat— she was given a seat on the Wizard for service to the Ministry, that is. And they only refer to the Honourable Representative, or you know who sometimes, if you're in private and nothing's on the record. It's funny, because of course we don't know, but... Is it the Headmaster? Malfoy shook his head. Hogwarts has had a seat on the Wizard since before it was the Wizard and the Headmaster rarely misses a session. Okay. Hermione thought about this. You said that they aren't officially told to do anything, but... There isn't officially a Death Eater on the Wizard Gamut either, and yet there is, actually, so what do they do? They safeguard Britain, Malfoy said. And then, when Hermione's expression must have made clear that his answer needed some elaboration, I don't know. I think there's one of the Azkaban Oversight Committee, but none of it is official. How many Death Eaters are there? Hermione asked. One, but it wears a lot of different masks beneath its face, Malfoy said. And Hermione raised an eyebrow. Sorry, it's one of Dora's jokes. He smiled, and his face scrunched up in thoughtfulness. Maybe... There are many more who fought on our side, of course, and many of those were considered Death Eaters, or they were called Death Eaters back then. 
"'And they wore the mask and robe?' Malfoy shook his head. "'I don't know. It's confusing. "'I guess there are maybe a hundred, you know, Death Eaters.' "'Hermione didn't know and rather wondered what he meant by that, "'but she rather suspected as well that he didn't quite know either. "'Do you think I could talk to your cousin about it?' "'is what Hermione very nearly asked before her brain checked itself, "'realized that this was maybe one of those cases "'where the pursuit of knowledge was best deferred "'or at least conducted a little more surreptitiously.' and caught up to her mouth before it could do something stupid. Instead, Hermione let the matter lie, for now, and asked after another matter that had been in her mind. "'Hogwarts has a library, right? Do you think I would be allowed in? Can you tell me where it is?' "'Sure,' said Longbottom. "'It's on the first floor, actually. We could show you right after lunch, in the free period before potions.' Hermione turned to Fleur. "'I'm going to be checking out the Hogwarts library after lunch. Do you want to come with us?' "'Alas, I cannot.' Italia is convinced that the tournament will involve a direct confrontation between champions at some point, and that she must learn how to throw a punch, in case Haywood makes casting too difficult. I have already promised to spend some time with her after lunch. I didn't know that you were a master of fisticuffs. I am not, but the year before you came to Bobeton, Norgozans called me a whore and I knocked her out. Fleur shrugged. That is enough for Italia. Because Fleur encouraged her to do so, and because there wasn't anything better to do while she waited for her guys to finish eating, Hermione, reluctantly still caring more about this puzzle she had uncovered, snacked on a soft brown cheese from a nearby platter. Longbottom and Malfoy didn't know what it was, so she supposed it was some of Durmstrang's cuisine. On the way to the library, Hermione realized that she could also, possibly, hopefully, get an answer to her very first question. "'I got a letter about potions,' Hermione said, "'and Professor Malfoy said that I had been placed in something called Group U. "'What is that about?' "'Oh, it's not you, it's Urus. "'Draco's father divides all the potions classes from second year on into five groups,' Longbottom explained. "'Sometimes there are six groups,' Malfoy interjected. "'Or six groups if there are a lot of students,' Longbottom amended. "'In first year, he mixes everybody up a lot, uh, "'putting people in different groups and figuring out who you work well with and where your strengths are.' Then, starting in second year, you get assigned to a group. Fehu, Urus, Thurisas, Ansus, Oraido. Or Kenas, he added, as Malfoy opened his mouth again. That way you're working with your real peers, you see. Group U isn't that bad. I, I mean, sometimes I feel out of my depth, or a lot of the time, actually. But I can do okay, and Professor Malfoy says it's good to make ourselves stretch. Yes, but what does Group U- Urus mean? I was told that it had something to do with my potions grade. Oh, right, well, they're, they're basically ranked from best to worst, you see. You've probably deserved to be in Group Fehu, but I don't think my father would ever put you there, no matter how good your grades were, Malfoy admitted. Because I'm... Hermione trailed off. A mudblood English? The usual prejudices probably weren't in play here, even if Malfoy was still a secret blood purist, like Professor McGonagall believed. Because you're just visiting, Malfoy explained. It would be an insult to put you in the bottommost ranks, obviously, but if you were in Group Fehu, then some of Fehu's resources would be diverted to you. Wait, I still think I'm not following... You have different resources. You mean potion supplies? Malfoy nodded. Right, Group Fehu gets to grab ingredients first, so we can pick out the best of what's available. And if there are extra tools that we need, then we're first for those too. And of course, we get a lot of his attention in class. My father says that there are some really valuable mushrooms that grow only in cow dung, so you can't always know where talent will come from, but when it's there, it's there, and it's no use rigging water from a stone. So your father just ignores everybody who isn't good enough? Hermione asked. Merlin, no, Malfoy said quickly. Honestly, he spends most of his time with the Riders and Canazas. They're the students who need extra guidance just to pass, or even just to not melt their cauldrons. 
Good Buddhist is actually nice like that, Longbottom said. Professor Malfoy will get really disappointed if I don't do as well as he thinks I can. And one time he sent my parents a letter, and then they sent me a howler. But if I had been put in Group F, then I might have died. Honestly, it's a lot better not to be put there. I heard that he wrote to Macmillan's parents last year because his blood clotting potion was dark pink instead of puce. He did, Malfoy said, grimacing. And then the Macmillans were invited over for dinner so that he could confer with all three of them, and obviously his parents were thrilled to accept. It was like watching an execution, except that I had to pretend that I still had an appetite when it went on. All the adults were going on about, Oh, a fine boy he was, but what a disappointment it was, Malfoy went on, throwing in what Hermione could only assume were impressions of his father and the Macmillans. And I had to smile and nod and pretend that Macmillan wasn't ready to gnaw off his leg to escape, because then father would talk to me about not caring about the fellow student's education. The expression on Malfoy's face made it look as though he were melting. The colour doesn't even matter that much. It doesn't have to be bloody puce. But, but if you do not reach for the clouds, then you will eat with the worms in the mud, both boys said in unison. I love my father, said Malfoy, but I cannot imagine a worse potions professor. When they arrived at the entrance to the Hogwarts library, Longbottom and Malfoy both reminded her to be as silent as possible. Madame Pince doesn't, um, do anything really awful to us. She doesn't even send us to detention, Longbottom said. But you're not a Hogwarts student, so I don't know if that would apply to you. I'm not sure any of the professors here can give me detention, Hermione said. I should look into that, actually. They can't take points away from me when I'm not part of the house, but I don't think Madame Maxine would appreciate... She trailed off. There was too little she knew about how things worked here, and she still wasn't in the mood to make light of what she did know. The door to the Hogwarts library was plastered with admonitions to treat the books kindly. Like flat, faithful, and unfortunately flammable friends, according to one flyer, to return books on time, and to never, never disturb the quiet sanctity of the library. Immediately inside was Madame Pence, vulture-faced custodian of the books, and the school's only official librarian. As they crossed through the door, she regarded them with a stern, appraising look, and after Pence passed from their sight, Hermione let out a breath she didn't know she had been holding in. There was no card catalogue, per se, as the Muggle libraries in Paris had, but there was a simple map of the Hogwarts library that conveyed the general layout and marked a few points of interest. And every so often Hermione passed by a thick tome, sitting on, and chained to, a granite pedestal. There, she found upon cracking one open, listed the books which were stored in that particular section, and even gave their current status. Volume 49 of the Collected Correspondence and Commentaries of Nicholas Fumel, for example, had been checked out for the summer and was supposed to be returned by the end of tomorrow. What she needed was history and politics, but the Hogwarts Library had a special organization style, and while Hermione had grown to accept the idiosyncrasies of the library at Beaubaton, it was altogether too much to find that Hogwarts had found its own way to befuddle and bemuse her. There was, quite simply, too much to look for, let alone read, in the short period that Hermione had until she needed to report for potions. So Hermione returned to the front and did the only thing she could, risk life and limb, or at least possible discipline, to talk to the librarian. "'Madam Pince?' Hermione asked as quietly and softly as she could muster. The vulture woman lifted her head and Hermione nearly quailed beneath the sharpness of her gaze. "'I was wondering if I could borrow books from the library. I'm visiting from—' Before Hermione could finish, Madame Pince slid a sheet of parchment across her desk and placed a freshly inked quill on top of it. "'Read every rule twice,' she said, in a voice so quiet it was almost a kind of word-shaped hollowness in the air. "'And then sign here, here, 
and here, I will not hesitate to enforce the terms. Quill in hand, Hermione looked over the parchment. Rules of the Hogwarts Library. Do not speak in the library. Whispering is a categorically different kind of noise making than speech and is permitted. Do not eat, drink, or by any other means or in any other sense consume any substance in the library. Nothing should pass by your lips or nostrils except for air. Do not enter the library in a state of befuddlement, bewitchment, or intoxication. Do not damage the books. Damage includes, but is not limited to, wetting any part of the book, dog-earing, and other kinds of folding, writing in the margins or elsewhere, exposing the book to bright light for too long a period, applying oil to the binding or any other part of the book, biting the book, tearing, setting on fire or exposing to smoke, removing the stitching, placing the book in a humid environment, using the book as a hot pad, feeding the book to insects, including bookworms, woodworms, and other kinds of worm, opening the book and leaving it face down against a flat surface, handling the books with dirty hands, snapping the binding, adding tape, removing tape, and wiping your phlegm on the books. Do not cause a disturbance in the library, whether oral, gustatory, olfactory, tactile, or visual, or of any other nature. Do not commit illegal acts in the library. Do not bring beasts or small children into the library. Do not enter the restricted section without a note of permission from a professor. Do not remove books from the library before they are checked out by the librarian, and do not fail to return the books within seven days after they are checked out. The librarian's schedule for each week may be found at the door and at the librarian's desk. Do not enter the library before it opens, or attempt to remain inside after it is closed. The Hogwarts Library will be open from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock in the evening except for Fridays and Saturdays, when it will close at 10 o'clock on every day from the beginning of the school year to its end. Hermione signed her name three times in careful, flowing script, then handed it back to Madame Pence, who accepted it with a curt nod and rifled through one of the desk's many drawers. "'It's odd,' she whispered. "'You're already on the list.' Did you sign anything before you came to Hogwarts? Not for the library, but perhaps Madame Maxime did something on our behalf. The librarian shook her head. I wouldn't allow that. Everyone must sign for themselves. Hermione thought about that, and summoned up the courage to advance the most likely possibility. I was born in Britain, but then my parents moved to France before my accidental magic manifested, and so I went to Beaubaton. Do you think that I might have been put down for the rose somehow? That could be it. I wouldn't have thought so, however, she continued, because Headmaster Riddle keeps a close eye on the Book of Admittance and alerts the Muggleliers on office the moment he lands there's a Muggle-born who needs... Well, as you said... You must have moved to France before that could have happened, and afterward, I don't see how you would have gotten into the book. We can't keep track of accidental magic beyond Britain, after all. The charm work isn't set up for it. Hermione shrugged and nodded, adding the matter to a growing stack of mysteries, and signed one more sheet, a little slip that bestowed upon its hold the right to borrow books from the Hogwarts library. With a hushed thank you, and an abashed and silent apology after Madame Pince scolded her for making noise, Hermione returned to the depths of the stacks to collect what she could before she had to leave for class. Ten books was a normal, reasonable amount to borrow, wasn't it? 
She could see over the top of them without stretching her neck anyway, which was the most important thing. There were two by Tom Riddle himself, magic is might and unity is strength, and a couple that were about him, Tom Riddle, British Cincinnatus and Dark Radical, which at least by their covers promised very different perspectives on the man, and then a variety of histories. British Society, 1692 through 1964, and Lambs and Lions, Britain in the New Era, and a newer edition of Hogwarts, A History, and so forth. Hermione had tried to give herself an adequate amount of time to reach the potions classroom, even accounting for the fact that she might get a bit lost and that people regularly underestimated how long it would take for them to do something, but even so, she arrived just in the nick of time. If Longbottom hadn't already offered a place to partner up with her, Hermione almost certainly wouldn't have been able to make heads or tails of anything before the class began, but as it was, all she would need to do was take her place beside him. And there he was, standing next to a stringy-looking boy in Ravenclaw blue, and figure out the rest as she went on. As Hermione took her place and put her things on the floor, Professor Malfoy took the roll call. Hermione's name was last, but she very intently did not take offense at that, for all she knew— and she tried hard to keep this in mind. Professor Malfoy never rewrote the list for a given year, and he just wrote her name at the bottom because he'd never planned for a transfer student. On the blackboard, Professor Malfoy had already written out the recipe and ingredients for the day's potion. "'The shrinking solution is a temperamental potion,' he began, "'and it requires care. But you can afford to take your time. You will not be graded on speed, only in the quality of the end product. With that in mind, please remember the following.' Your potion requires a very precise amount of daisy root, but you will be cutting wormwood as well. To avoid potential contamination, I suggest you add the daisy root before you prepare the wormwood, then conjure a pristine cloth to clean your knife. If the potion is ruined by a surfeit of daisy root, then you will not know it until you are wondering why, at the very end, your shrinking solution has not turned the right shade of green. Professor Malfoy pointed to the fourth item on the ingredients list— be sure to juice the leeches, keeping out all solid tissues. If you aren't sure, then feed the juice through a linen filter to separate out any contaminants. The shrinking solution must still achieve its end if you make a mistake at this stage, but it will also produce an unpleasant inflammation of the blood vessels. He moved to the item below that. Lastly, be gentle when you shake the rat spleen, like you are using it to stir a cup of tea— and examine the spleen for external damage before you add it to the cauldron, and again after you remove it. You need only the most rarefied hint of black bile, and any leakage will totally ruin the shrinking solution. If you suspect there was leakage, then add swine-snout petals at a rate of one every thirty seconds until your potion develops a dull yellow color, exactly as you see it on page 147 of your textbook, and then proceed to the next step— Ameliorating the black bile will probably be a time-consuming process, so it is best to do things right if you can. While Group Fehum gathered their ingredients, Longbottom made introductions. "'Granger, this is Theodore Nott,' he said, gesturing to the stringy-looking boy. "'Theo Hermione Granger from Burbaton.' "'Good afternoon, Nott. It's nice to meet you,' Hermione said. Nott scribbled something onto a bit of parchment, then glanced up. "'Likewise. We also partner up in medical magic together,' Longbottom said." And him and Draco are in mental magic, too, just not on the same day. I get it with the Slytherins on Monday and Wednesday, Nat said. Mental magic is the class that the headmaster teaches personally, right? asked Hermione. Nat nodded. We're going to be working mostly on pensives and memory magic. The headmaster knows so much about everything, but especially about pensives. 
There's something of a special interest of his. I was supposed to prepare for occlumency next year as well. I tell you, I don't know how I'm going to stay on top of everything this year. Maybe it'd be easier if you weren't taking a third elective, Theo, Longbottom said. Cook its ingredients, Neville, Nat said with a tone of mock offence, and Longbottom departed, grinning. You're taking three, asked Hermione. Dark arts, right after mental magic. Of course, I'd have taken four if they let me, but they didn't, so I'm trying to study ancient runes on my own. It is a lot, I'll admit, but so far I've been able to make it work. Part of Hermione was impressed, and more than a little bit sympathetic for Nat's plight, but she still side-eyed him. We don't have the dark arts at Pupitol. Of course you don't, Nat said amiably. It's messy stuff and dangerous. Then why do you take it? Nat froze for a second, mouth shut and hands hovering over the cutting board. He resumed arranging the workspace, but it took a couple more seconds before he said anything. Have you ever explored a cave, Granger? No. My father and I used to all the time before I came to Hogwarts. There's this cave I went to in Wales once, where you have to crawl, almost slither, for almost an hour before you get anywhere that's big enough to stand up. When you get there, you can put out your light, and the darkness goes on forever. It's older and deeper than anything that could be imagined. If you stayed forever, then you'd lose yourself. But I guess there are people who lose themselves to dark magic, too, but let me put it like this. I'm never going to stay in those caves forever, but I'm always going to go back. Oh, never welcome back. Pass the daisy roots, will you? Hermione kept her focus on the shrinking solution for the rest of their lesson. It wasn't very difficult to figure out, but this was her first potion at Hogwarts, her first class at all, and she didn't want to be the weak link on their team. She didn't know what to make of Nott's explanation, and wasn't sure that she wanted to know more. So when Nott left at the end of class to get an early start in his studying, Hermione let him go without any follow-up questions. And there was an hour until dinner started, but Hermione headed to the Great Hall anyway. Fleur would come looking for her if she was absent from dinner, and was unlikely to let her skip another meal. Madame Maxime might complain, too. The Basilisk was apparently a fan of correspondence chess, according to Hogwarts of History, and fairly good at it, for a giant snake. But neither Hermione nor Batilda Backshot could quite figure out the logistics that made this possible. The bloody thing didn't even have hands. How was it supposed to write letters? Some believed that it was really the headmaster who was playing chess on the other end, and it was pretty clear that Bagshot was among their number, but didn't want to come out and just say that Tom Riddle was a dirty liar. Hermione hardly noticed the beginning of dinner and scarcely realized Fleur was there until the other girl made herself known. "'Eat something?' Fleur urged, but Hermione shook her head. "'Can't, Madame Pins might see.' It might have been her imagination, but Hermione could almost feel the librarian's eyes boring into her skull just for bringing books into the great hall at mealtime. It might not have been against the rules that she just agreed to follow a couple hours ago, but Hermione still felt uneasy about bringing the books near any food." and it was probably a charm that would let Madame Pince know that food had ever been in contact with the pages, even if Hermione cleaned it afterward. "'Just give me five more minutes.' "'You've said that before?' "'I have?' All right, now that she thought about it, she did have a sort of vague sense that someone might have said something at some point, but... "'Are you sure?' "'I'm quite certain.' "'Well, just five more minutes,' Hermione said, and Fleur must have given up because she didn't notice anything more until... "'French girl!' Hermione heard." in that sort of tone which suggested this was not the first time she'd been spoken to, and Hermione startled and looked up. "'You're already into the books,' said what was her name, the redhead, the Ginny, that was it. Uh, "'Yes,' Hermione admitted. She could hear Fleur chuckling on her left. Ginny smiled. "'Figures. I was trying to get your attention for a couple minutes. Hermione, right?' 
she asked, and then, I wanted to invite you to the portrait club tomorrow. It's our first meeting of the year, and but I don't know how to paint. No, it's something like that. We just watch the portraits talk to each other, Ginny sighed. It's actually a lot better than it sounds. Some of the portraits hate each other, and, well, I heard you had a hard time this morning, and I thought I might cheer you up. It's funny. What time is it? Hermione was, truth be told, curious about what the British got up to, what she, in another life, had things gone just a little differently, would have gotten up to, and was especially interested in seeing a side of them that didn't involve grievous mutilation. Seven o'clock, not long after dinner ends. That would give Hermione plenty of time to continue reading as well. That sounds good, Hermione said, and she returns to her empty space on the table where Hogwarts' history had been. Hermione glared up at Fleur. You stole my book while I wasn't paying attention. So I did. Now eat, Fleur said. And her triumphant smile was almost enough to make Hermione forgive her. Almost. Book theft was a heavy sin. For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the archive of our own page of Call Me Saltisside. The music is Amon Ra by Days Witch under a Creative Commons license with assistance from 1T1. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.